Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. This week's episode features Pam Zapata. She's the founder of Society 18. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Veronique Goodbye. She's the CEO and founder of Veronique Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to be here with Pam Zapata. She is the founder of Society 18. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm so excited to get to see your face, Pam. We've been talking, and I know you've been talking with my team because we do work with you through the agency, and I'm so excited to get to know you better. Yeah, likewise. So um, you said something to me really interesting when we had our intake call, and I wrote it down. You said, um, sometimes you feel like you're playing (laughs) whack-a-mole. Yes. So tell me what about your job is like a game of whack-a-mole. I think um, the hardest part of being an entrepreneur and running your own business is that you wear a lot of hats. It's like the best and the worst part, right? So you get to um, you get to do a lot of things, but I feel like with that comes a lot of responsibilities, and these things also are across of across like various different areas that you may not be as comfortable with. So whether it's accounting or bookkeeping or legal. Um, like the, the running of the business is, is a lot. And then also the day-to-day um, management of the business, just making sure things are happening, uh, running a management agency. Um, there's a lot of obviously incoming and outgoing negotiations happening, contracts, campaign management, things like that. So I feel like every day it's like something different. There's a different campaign going live. Social media is another thing we have to you know really focus on. So I feel like there's just so many different things that on a day-to-day basis have to kind of flow so I feel like every day it's like okay what's what are we doing today are we doing this is this going live what post has to happen what caption do we need to put together which vertical are we posting on today LinkedIn um, Instagram Facebook I mean there's just a lot of different hats you get to wear which is great but also I do feel like I'm playing whack-a-mole every day because if it's not one thing it's another Um, but I've definitely solidified my problem solving skills because every day is just like, all right, there's a problem. What's the solution? How do we resolve? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's part of the business, but I love it. And, um, tell us what is Society 18? Society 18 is a multi-ethnic, multicultural management agency. So we represent a roster of about 15 influencers um, of all uh, races, ethnicities, cultures, religions, body types, hair textures. I really wanted to create an agency. Um, What I realized after, just for some background, after working in this industry for about 10 years is that there was a lot of influencers that weren't really negotiating deal terms. They didn't really understand the ins and outs of influencer marketing, working on the brand side for as long as I have been. I just realized I wanted to you know, switch over and become a resource to these influencers, especially I think influencers of color who were being um, underrepresented and didn't really understand their value. So I launched um, Society 18 about a year ago to really um, be a resource to a lot of the women that I felt like were being underrepresented, weren't really negotiating, didn't understand their value. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a year, about a month ago today, almost, and, um, it's been great. So Pam, when I look back at your like career journey, it's basically like, um, a a peek into my TV watching habits, um, (laughs) because you've done so much in TV. So, um, 
you know, you worked for E! News, which is so cool. You worked in Ryan Seacrest Productions, which makes a lot of the reality TV shows I watch. Um, so um, let's go back in time. Um, you know, when you were in high school, let's say, what did you want to be when you would grow up? So in high school, I actually did a lot of pageants. Um, and I remember after doing pageants, I was invited to go do an interview at like a local TV station. And I saw like the cameras and the lights and I was so excited. And after um, high school, I realized, okay, I want to work in this industry. With t I didn't really know what it was. I thought I wanted to be on camera because I was like, yeah, I've been in front of the camera, you know, or on stage doing all of these pageants for so many years that I felt like that was just, you know, something that would be um, just an easy transition for me. Um, so I studied broadcast journalism. I went to Emerson College with a minor in marketing and PR and advertising and um, realized I didn't really love being on camera as much as I thought I was going to. Um, but the best part of college is that I got to get a lot of hands-on experience um, through my internship. So I interned, I mean, my internships, I did eight internships in college because I was just making sure that I did everything I could and was getting my money's worth. So did a pre-production internship at ESPN, worked at the local PBS station, um, worked in um, at Disney Channel in their casting and talent relations department, um, worked at Univision in their social media department. So I had all of these internships in just different sectors of the business because I really want to understand how everything kind of aligns, but also try, trying to figure out what it is that I really wanted to do. Um, so went from, um, from Boston to LA, did a couple other internships out there and then ended up at Ryan Seacrest, which is where I got my first job out of college, which was amazing. Can we just um, go back a second to talk about pageants in high school? How did, <laughs> yeah. how did you get into the pageant world? So my older sister always did, we had like a local pageant in our town, um, it was called like Semana Hispana, which is like the festival, like it would be um, a fest, a week long festival where we just celebrate our culture and it would be like all like Latinos in the community just kind of celebrating. So it'd be like uh, live performances and things like that. And every year they would have uh, a local pageant where they would be a queen of the festival. <laughs> and so that was like my first experience um, in pageantry. But it was, I mean, it was fun. I think like, I don't know. Now I think I have such an interesting, a different perspective on pageants, but I feel like at the time, the confidence that it gave me and like the interviewing skills and all of the, everything I pulled from it, I think has really helped me throughout my career. So I see the value in them. Um, but from there, I did like Miss Massachusetts and all of these other like local pageants, um, which was like great because I, like I said, I think like there's a lot of value and a lot of good training that, you know, once you stand on stage in like a two-piece swimsuit, I feel like you can do anything. <laughs> so it really builds your confidence. And um, it, it kind of helped me really get to a point where I was like, you know what, if I can like get in really good shape and do this with my body and get in my mind and um, my mindset and just get to a point where I feel like I'm solid and I, I can do anything, like I really felt like I could do anything. So I think it was a really great kind of way to... I guess, kickstart my entertainment industry career, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's really ties into, um, you know, essentially like, you know, uh, participants in reality TV shows is not that different, right? They're, they have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they have to bridge the gap between telling it their own way and also telling it for the medium that they're in. And that's really what you're doing in pageants, right? Um, yeah. You're trying to tell your story in, in the medium that you have at hand. That's so cool. So I imagine your parents' house has like so many different photos of you and your sister. Oh my and, like, god! The sparkly dresses. 
<laughs> yeah, there's still trophies in my mom's house. Uh, like the crown is still in like the glass in like enclosed uh, <laughs> bin. It's like, it's hilarious when I go home. I'm like, mommy, why do you still have these up? And she's like, no, they're memories. I'm like, I know, but it's okay, crazy. So we, we need still a have a picture of the crown pan for our social media when we promote uh, this episode. <laughs> it was my, the, the local town pageant was the biggest crown I think of. It was nine inches high. And by the end of the week, the top of the crown was folded back because I kept walking into like things with it because I didn't realize how high it was in the car every time I would do anything. So like it kind of started bending backwards. <laughs> Wait, but, yeah, you have... weren't just in pageants. You were the queen of the festival. Oh, yeah, I did win that one. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I know I was the queen. I was the queen for I mean, it was like a week long, but there was events throughout the year that I had to attend. So, yes, it was. And it was a scholarship, too. So that was really nice and helpful for me. That's so fun. Okay, so let's talk about like um, life in the behind the scenes of reality TV because you talked about mm -hmm. Shaza Sunset. So basically it was like Channel E or Bravo programming, which is the <laughs> only TV that I watch um, other than like Netflix. So um, what was like the, the most interesting things that you learned behind the scenes making these shows happen? I think like going back to your point is that like everyone has a story. And so obviously in college, I studied broadcast journalism and I was just always interested in the story, people's stories, people's backgrounds, what motivates them. And I think it really working in, you know, reality TV for so long, it just really helped kind of, it helped me find my way into this industry in a way that I was like, oh, I really care. Like, what, what is your background? Where do you come from? Like, what are your struggles? Like, we all have a story. So I think it was, um, it was great to learn kind of, you know, how TV shows are made, how, you know, characters are built, even though they're characters, um, they're still people, right? So what makes them relatable? What makes them likable or non-likable? What does their social circle look like? How do we build stories around them? So just really understanding like the format of reality TV in general and how characters are inserted for different reasons, supporting characters, helping, you know, tell the story. Um, so I think for me, that was like the most interesting piece. And what I really enjoyed when I was casting for Shaz was that I was able to help elevate someone's story or elevate someone's career. And that's kind of when I found the passion with like, with working with talent, um, whether it's influencer or reality or scripted, I think like elevating someone and giving them a platform and either tell their story or promote their business, I thought was really powerful. And uh, when you would cast for shows, uh, were people really receptive to the idea of putting their lives on TV when they're not the producer? I think it was, it was, I got, we got different reactions. Some people were like, wanted to be the star of the show. Some people just wanted attention. There's some people that I wasn't interested in that were always just trying to, like when I would go out and actually try to cast for these shows, they would just do, try to, you know, be this grand person so that their personality would shine. And that could be, you know, effective, but sometimes it's, it's really talking to the people that maybe not be as vocal that have those really interesting stories. Um, so sometimes people were open, but what we found is that sometimes the people that were not as open were the ones that you had to really pull information from and kind of really pull their stories from were like the most impactful and powerful. Um, but you know, there's some people that just like want to be reality TV stars and like, that's great. Um, but you just have to have, you have to be open and you have to be relatable and you have to have a story to tell. And do you watch any reality TV today? So I just, I, reality TV took up the first like five to 
seven years of my career. And so I don't really watch. I feel like I know too much now. Like I've seen it. I've seen all I've seen it all. Like I've seen, you know, working, you know, on the network side and on the production company side. Like I I've seen, I feel like I've seen too much. I know too much. And so I can't really get the joy that I um, used to get when I used to watch them because I was like, oh, this is awesome. But like now that I've been in it, I'm like, oh, I, I would prefer to kind of get lost in like a scripted series. Like that for me is, for, is more um, of like an escape where I remember like reality always felt like work. So I was just like, I don't want to watch this. Like, I don't, I've, I've done that. I've been there. It's all good. I mean, I, I appreciate it because I know it can provide value and people love it. So, because um, it's an escape at the end of the day. Um, I just prefer scripted nowadays. <laughs> right. So for me, because I don't know a lot about it, like I watched that show Unreal. Did you ever see that show? It was scripted. I remember. It was, like, yeah. Behind the scenes. Was that the like, Lifetime one? Kind of show. I think it was on Lifetime. It was like behind the yep. scenes of like the Bachelorish kind of show. So for me, um, it's those shows are such an escape because um, in my daily life, I attempt to be very thoughtful and measured. Right. So I'm I'm thoughtful and measured with my coworkers. I'm thoughtful and measured with my clients. I'm thoughtful and measured um, with my husband most of the time with my kids, sometimes not always. And, um, <laughs> you know, when I watch these shows, it's people like not, you know, like really thinking about others or the um, and their end goals at all. Right. There's this like freedom that I see in them behaving badly. Right. I'm choosing not to behave badly because I know that's not going to get me to my goals. But, you know, sometimes I want to throw a temper tantrum. Right. And I get to do that <laughs> a little bit through the behavior that I see on, in these shows. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why they resonate with me so much, because I'm, I'm not going to throw the dish. I'm not going to th- yeah. scream at somebody. <laughs> but there's a, a little bit of a release that I get from watching other people behave, you know, poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I get also that. love the, re- the relationships as well. No, I totally get that. You're kind of living vicariously. You're like, if I could get away with throwing a plate across the table or like smacking someone in the face, like I would, but like, I can't do that. So I'll get it through them. <laughs> I totally right. get Who that. Who doesn't like wa- fantasize about throwing a plate against the wall? I mean, I <laughs> but you know, like the, just the ability to do it, right? That freedom. Yeah. So anyway, I think that there's um, so much, um, you know, joy that I get out of the shows because um, it's really the opposite of the way that I live my life. And, you know, sometimes I, I need to release that. So, okay, mm-hmm. let's move on from reality TV because then you um, built a career out of uh, management, talent management, which is, you know, mm-hmm. when you started your own company. So you worked for other agencies in talent management. Um, what did you learn at those other agencies that um, inform the way you want to run your company now? I think, I think, I mean, I think after working, I mean, working period after 10 years, I've worked at places that did it right. I've worked at places that did it wrong. I've worked, I've always just always taken note of if I would, if I, if I were the boss, I would do this or I would put this process in place. So I've always kind of kept a mental note of like how I would want to run things. Um, and I think like after, so after I left E, I is when I kind of dove into like the talent um, management space. I worked at Style Hall for a little bit in the talent management space. And then I went to this um, startup called Sweetie High and created their, you know, Gen Z uh, influencer studio and did a lot of their integrated marketing. And working at a startup really kind of helped invigorate that like excitement and passion of, wait, I can actually build something. You know, I, I built it under this umbrella, but I could kind of build something on my own one day. Um, so that was really powerful for me. And then I moved to New York. I worked at a couple agencies out here. Um, 
And just really understanding the influencer landscape, everything from putting together a strategy to um, influencer casting and procurement and negotiations and contracts and kind of seeing everything from, you know, the beginning to end um, was super, such a great experience for me to kind of see the picture overall. And then how these influencers fit into these bigger overall strategies was really helpful um, but like I said, once I started realizing, you know, there's a lot of influencers that aren't really negotiating. They won't, they're not reading contracts. Um, there's just so much to the space and they're really undervalued, I feel like. And I, th- I thought, you know, I want to be a resource for these women. I was still passionate about the space, but kind of wanted to attack it from a different perspective, something a little bit more passionate and meaningful. Um, and also realizing women of color, I felt like were underrepresented and could really use a resource. Um, and that's kind of where I founded the agency off of that, like, passion and just desire to want to just have do something a little bit more meaningful. You told me that um, if you're working so many hours, you wanted to build something for yourself. Um, so now that you're a year into that, um, <laughs> um, how does it feel to be working so hard and building it for yourself? It feels great. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's definitely more hours than I was even doing at the agency. Um, and it's really hard to turn off. I think that's the hardest part of running your own business is that there's always something you could be doing. And so I've always already struggled with work-life balance because I'm such a I'm such a hard worker, I will say. I'm one of the hardest working people that I know. So I've always, even when I was working at other agencies, have always found it challenging to like turn it off and to just take a break. Um, but I think now that I'm running my own, I have to like really work on finding that work-life balance because I think it's very important to avoid burnout. Um, but I mean, I think it's all worth it for me. I mean, I did it a year ago, not knowing what was going to happen. I started with like five clients that I reached out to and now I'm at 15 and I'm making my, you know, I've made my first hire. I'm hiring another person. I'm really building a team now. And all of my clients by the grace of God are referral based. So I haven't actually had to reach out to any new clients. So, you know, my goal this year is to really grow and build a team and build kind of the ecosystem that I would have well, that I've worked at before because I've worked at places that were great, hired amazing people. So just building a nice company culture and a team that shares the same values and passion about the space, specifically what we're doing. Um, and that's kind of like my goal for, you know, this year. We had a really interesting conversation during our intake call around the, the labeling of um, agencies, right? There would be like general market agencies and there'd be something called like multicultural agency. And I asked you, um, you know, I guess I'm, I'm older than you, so I'm 44. So when I was growing up in the advertising business, there was like the general market agency. And then there were these you know, spin-off shops of multicultural. But the multicultural, it felt like either just supported um, like maybe um, a Hispanic market, right? And that's all they did. Or then Mm -hmm. there were these other agencies that, I mean, I think they called themselves urban, which I think was an attempt to connect with black customers. But, you know, then, but that that wasn't, it wasn't a multi-culture. It was like a specific culture. And I just, Mm -hmm. I was always really confused by the language around this, thinking that isn't the general market agency the one that should be the multicultural? And then if I need to get specific into a region um, or a language, then I might have specialties and special departments that can... um, you know, really understand the language and and different elements of um, different cultures. So am I wrong for being confused by this terminology? Um, And is this terminology relevant? No, I think you're, I think you're right. I think I've had actually had this conversations with a couple of people who I worked with at previous agencies. And 
it shouldn't be multicultural, a specific multicultural department. Like general market is all people, all colors, all races, all ethnicities, all religions, all body types. Like that is general market. Like we're like, I think, and but to your point, like I think we had talked about this before. Until it's not, until people just have it ingrained in their mind that they need to make sure that the general population is being represented. We have to have these departments that are focused on just these um, uh, uh, cultures or you know markets because I think like there's just bias, subconscious bias is happening all around. And so when someone's just casting, let's say it's a campaign, a brand campaign, and they're just casting for general market, and you know they just don't happen to cast you know an Asian or someone who's a, a black person or a Latina or like it's. It's it's it, and I think that's why it goes back to having people at your company that are also representative of the general market of you know the 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 bigger population because I think it's so easy for people to just forget oh I need to and not just cast one or two people of color but like really cast people that like look like what the country looks like like there's there's a lot of tokenism that happens sometimes where it's like let's just plop this one person and that person and now we're a diverse you know group of you know people but it's not really about that like you have to really make sure that your 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 casting looks diverse in every way shape or form and that doesn't mean just putting a couple people of color in your campaign um and so i think until we get to a point where we can train ourselves to not be biased because like you know some people just don't even realize or don't even know it based off of their upbringing or maybe based off of like the, the company just didn't hire enough diverse people so we always have to be reminded of, of it and that's why i think it's important but to your point i think it's sh- i don't think it should exist because i think it should we should just be better let's just all make sure we're casting the right way and not secluding urban or like Latinos or multicultural multi- or Latinx, like it should all be one. And right. until so we are there. Yeah. Through your business by specializing, you're, you're saying like, I can develop a voice for my clients here so that over time we become the general market, right? Like, you know, it's sort mm-hmm. of like a progression of, um, I guess, building your voice right now. And then, you know, maybe in a year or two years, um, you're able to, through the voice of yourself and your team and your clients, make it so that brands are just automatically thinking, like, of course, we need diversity in our campaign. Mm-hmm. Of course, we need a lot of point of views. Um, yeah. So let's talk about tokenism, because, um, you know, I, wa- I want to make sure that my team isn't, you know, placing ca- casting direction in a token way. Um, so when when we're thinking about, you know, brand communications, we're thinking holistically across the year, let's say that a client hires us for, but then we're also thinking like project by project. So um, is it tokenism if we're saying, okay, we have three spots to fill and we want one spot to be a black woman and we want one spot to be a Latina woman and we want one spot to be, I don't know, an Asian woman. Like, is that is that tokenism? Um, I don't think that necessarily is tokenism. I feel like for me, it's more like this is the first thing that comes to mind because I just had a conversation with someone where a lot of times they'll have these influencer PR trips, right? And they'll have, for the most part, a lot of like Caucasian and then they'll pick, let's say, one or two black or brown women and just kind of put them in. And they they'll, sometimes just, they'll just happen to be the ones with the fair skin or like the bigger curls or and they're the ones that always end up getting chosen to go on all these trips. And now you have your... 
and but they're not really including like I've heard a lot of influencers going on these trips where like they casted these you know two or three people of color just to check off a quota but they're not really integrating them into the experience and it feels like oh we just checked off these boxes um so I think it's two different things it's like not just checking off a box and making feeling like you just you know casted the specific person in your campaign or your trip but also making sure that you're not just casting the same because we just tend to like a lot of people subconsciously just tend to gravitate towards you know even like fair features or you know um women that are black but may have like fair skin or like and I think it's also getting out of your mindset like I've had a, I've had influencers that I've spoken with before that have said, am I not getting casted for this campaign because my skin is too dark? Like, why does this person always get casted for this campaign? And that like broke my heart because I don't want to see that happening and um, it's not right. And so, um, yeah, I think it's more of like making sure that you're not just checking off a box and that you're really being inclusive. And it's not just like a trip, but like in all of your initiatives, like I've been to brand events where it's like, there's not really anybody of like color and the two or three people that are, we just tend to gravitate towards each other because we're like, how is this? Why does this look like this? Like this shouldn't look like this, but like subconsciously, like a lot of times women of color will just like gravitate towards each other because like, it just feels like a safer place because we're just like, why does it, why should it be like this? It should just be all types of people. And I like, I don't know. I, I struggle with this my, myself because I'm, you know, but also understanding your own privilege, right? So I'm not a black woman. I'm like, I'm Dominican. I'm a Latina. Um, Dominicans are mutts. So we're black, we're Spanish, we're Indio, we're like a bunch of different things. So even within myself, like, yes, there is black in me, but my experience is different from someone who's darker than me or might have a deeper skin tone. Like, and so understanding, I think understanding one's privilege too is also really important. Right. So I, I think if I'm trying to distill this down into, um, you know, guidance selfishly for my team and anyone who's listening, like it's not just about the one trip or the one campaign. It's really about like every every initiative that you're doing where humans are involved, whether it's influencer casting, a photo shoot, a party, um, an expert panel like that, um, your, your whole consumer audience is represented in some ways during those activations. Is that right? Yeah, it's really integrating them into your strategy for the year. So making sure that these that all of these people are being represented throughout all of your activations, all of your campaigns. And like, I think that's what Rihanna did with such a with Fenty, which was such so amazing is that it was even her fashion show. Like it was just it was what it was. And it was beautiful because it was everyone felt like they were seen. And I think a lot of people are not feeling seen. And I think that is kind of the bigger the bigger problem. Right. So, um, you know, I'm hopeful that for brands and marketers who are really thoughtful about what their their consumer is seeing, um, that the consumer actually feel that, like, right, the energy of that, that important work will come through into, like, the little jars and bottles that you buy at the end, right? Um, and I've seen on social and I've had feedback from, um, you know, friends in the industry, models, influencers, that they, they know when a brand is being inauthentic in this way, right? If just that one photo shoot has like 12 different women and they're all different shades of women, but then um, the imagery on the packaging, the imagery on the website, the imagery on social is just like 
one one color of skin, they know that that's just a marketing tactic and not really holistic in the way the brand thinks. So the consumer is super savvy about this. Mm-hmm. They see it. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, 100%. And I think brands started kind of taking note with all of, like, the natural hair, the natural hair care movement really took, like, a big... Um, I think we've seen that we've seen them actually start to listen to us. Like we can't like before, I think even the natural hair movement was really hard for a lot of women weren't going natural. Like we were doing, you know, the perm just for as an example. Like I think now brands are kind of being now we feel like we're being catered to. But then also we don't want to feel like now you, you thanks for coming here and showing up to the party late. I mean, we're glad you're here. But like, why weren't you catering to us before? So I think it's like there you have to when you do it, you have to do it right as well it's we don't want to also feel like you're just taking you're just trying to like oh we now we're really realizing how much money these women of these women are spending on hair care products we should get a piece of that pie where it's like oh we should have been doing that before thanks for coming but like now like a lot of times I hear a lot of women are just supporting like black owned brands just because like the way they've always been there. Um, and so it's like, it's a whole thing. I mean, we, we could talk about this forever. <laughs> There's so many layers to it, right? Right. Well, I'm wondering if your clients, the influencers, um, are as discerning about like, do they like the goop in the jar um, for a partnership as they are about like the rest of their mar- the brand's marketing? Like, are, are they using the rest of the brand's marketing activations in addition to if they like the product as a way to decide if they want to work with that brand. Yeah, like a lot of my clients will, we, we typically like to try out products before we like even promote them just to make sure it's a brand that, it's a, the product works well for them, for their skin or for their hair. Um, but also we want to make sure that they align with the brand overall. Just, I mean, I think even with like pull up, the, the movement that happened via Instagram where everyone was like so... What are, what are you guys doing? Like, what are, what does your team look like? What does your leadership look like? So now I think it's a little deeper because I think around that time even, like we were looking at all of our brand partners and we were checking to see how, what, what they were doing, how they were activating. So I think like there goes a lot, there's a lot that goes into a brand partnerships, not just like the product efficacy, but also like the brand, the brand's background. Like, what are they known for? Um, do we feel like they're inclusive all the time or just when it benefits them? So there's like a lot of things that we take into consideration. Right. One of the um, learnings that we saw when we did an audit of um, you know, all the conversation on racial inequality on social media and how brands were reacting um, is it seemed like so many brands saw this as a, a, a marketing decision, like how to respond. Mm-hmm. And it's not a marketing decision. It's like the, the all the values of your company decision. Right. This is not about like the social media marketing manager making a decision on this. Right. And I, I'm hopeful that it was a wake up call to some brands that this is not this is not marketing. This is the soul of your brand. <laughs> this is the mm-hmm. everything. This is. Um, so, you know, there's some really interesting um, reactions to that because I, I, I do think a lot of brands saw it as like, oh, let the social media community manager deal with this and not really think about um, who they are, who their customer is, and how they can make her feel welcome. A hundred percent. No, I, I agree with you. Like, it's not just the social media marketer's job to figure out what's the caption for this post? How do we position this? Like, that's, it's such a bigger, it's so much bigger than that. Right. But I do think that... Um, this push for conversation on social is illuminating because the brands that uh, misstepped 
right? By like designating, oh, like, yeah, the 25 year old social media manager will solve this for us. Like probably learned it pretty hard that that's mm-hmm. actually not, not right. And hopefully they can reboot and say like, oh, this is about the values of our company. This is about 100%. social media. So, um, I, you know, I love the work that you're doing. I'm so excited to know you. Um, and I'm so grateful that you shared your wisdom with us today, Pam. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Pam. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.